Welcome to Film School Radio, the on-air online showcase for the best in independent documentary and foreign films every Friday morning from 9 to 10 a.m. Pacific and online at filmschoolradio.com. I'm your host, Mike Kaspar. In 1985, Willem de Kooning's Woman au Corps, one of the most valuable paintings of the 20th century, vanished into the Arizona desert after being cut from its frame at the University of Arizona Museum of Art. 32 years later, the $160 million painting was found hanging in the home of Jerry and Rita Alter in rural New Mexico. The thief collector takes a deep look at how and why this mild-mannered couple pulled off one of the greatest art heists of a generation, exploring the complicated dynamics of family, the contours of criminality, and just how far people will go to weave their own grandiose narratives. And we're joined today by the director of The Thief Collector, Allison Otto. Allison, welcome to Film School Radio. Thank you. Thank you for having me on and for um, taking the time to review the film and chat it's about a- it. Well, you are very welcome, and I want to thank you for this film because it's creative, it is insightful, it is interesting, and it tells a story that is hard to believe, and that's one of the great things about documentary filmmaking and documentary filmmakers, is they take you on this journey, and this is certainly one of them. The film, The Thief Collector, how did you find out about Rita and Jerry Alter, and what inspired you to do the documentary? Well, so I first uh, read about their story once when the painting was recovered in an article on the Smithsonian Magazine uh, website. Mm. And um, the article talked about the recovery of the painting and where it was found and that the two people were retired school teachers who were dead ringers for the original police sketch. Mm-hmm. And the story just kind of haunted me. I thought about it for several months. And at the time I was doing freelance work for the BBC. So when the BBC put out a call for true crime stories uh, for their digital content, which was what I did was digital content for them. uh, I immediately thought of this story and I reached out to the nephew who was the executor of their state. And once I started chatting with him, I realized that the theft itself was really just the tip of the iceberg and that this is much more than a digital content short piece and that it merited more of a a feature length documentary. I could see why you would say that. I I can certainly see why that would occur to you. The the broad outline of what I described in the um, introduction was this very famous painting has been stolen. Did you have any inkling and that in and of itself, the fact that it was stolen, the how it was stolen, it ends up in this house in the middle of the desert. What was the first moment when you realized there's more, a lot more to their story than that that part of the story? Was there a was there a particular was it the book? What was what was it that kind of tipped you that this is there's a lot more here? Um, in talking with the nephew, uh, but also in the book, you know, reading Jerry's self-published book of short stories that he put out there into the world shortly before he passed away. And all of these stories, he says, um, you know, in the foreword, but also uh, to his nephew said that all of these stories were based on real life experiences. 
And the protagonists in all of the stories are basically um, avatars of himself and his wife. And once I started to read these stories and talk to neighbors and friends, colleagues of the altars over the years, that's when I really started to realize that this story was not what I thought it was going in. <laughs> to say and that it takes a, a lot of twists yeah. and turns and goes down a rabbit hole. Yeah, it really does. I do want to talk about them specifically, Jerry and Rita how they got together, what their background was going in. But this feels like a film that in addition to, it just feels like you were a, you were a detective for us. You're, you're our avatar in all of this. But I just can't imagine what it was like for you to just be constantly finding out something. And I don't want to give anything away. I'm really struggling here to not give too much away about the film, but to discover the book. I mean, the, I think if I just say the book in and of itself is an amazing window into the world of these two people. And but for you as a, the, the detective in this, as you're revealing all this, just I can't imagine my mind would have been blown. But let's go back before we get to that. I'm sorry, I'm sort of jumping around here a little. But let's talk about Jerry and Rita and we'll get back to that part of our, our conversation. Jerry and Rita Alter, how did they get together? Who are they? What are they about as people? So they got married in 1955. They met at a summer resort in, I believe it was the Catskills. It was upper, it was in New York. He was a musician for the resorts uh, band. And I believe she was governess there. Or she was working there as well. And that's where they met. And then, you know, they got, they got married. They both became school teachers. He was a music teacher. She uh, was a speech therapist for for kids in the school system who had speech disorders. And then he retired at the age of 47. Um, and they moved to this home in rural New Mexico in um, a town of 300 people. Uh, but their home is outside of that town. You know, it's uh, in a very remote area, and they built the house themselves. And I think they moved there, yeah, in 1977, and then built the house. And then it was a couple years before he died. She died. She died shortly after he died. Mm -hmm. And before he died, he that was when he self-published this book of short stories. She taught for a time in the school system there in New Mexico, um, but he was uh, retired when yeah. he moved there. Yeah, and I mean to the to the outside world, they they looked like a couple of retired school teachers, right? Who were interesting, but seemed to want to take chances with their lives. They loved to travel, and the book that we're referring to is called "The Cup and the Lip." Do I have that right? Okay, the cup and the lip, which was written by H. Jerry Alter, and just in and of itself, Alter. the wild, the wild tales that are told are thought. Well, I, uh, I'm struggling here. I don't want to say anything more. That's it. Let's leave it there. Okay, <laughs> well, go ahead if you want to say add anything because I feel like if I talk about the stories, and I might be saying too much. I, <laughs> well, I can tell you that. Some the 
a lot of the stories have to do with nefarious deeds. <laughs> and, um, and, you know, there are a couple stories that are very similar to what transpired with the theft of the Willem de Kooning painting. And then there are other stories that we didn't connect the dots on uh, when we first started filming. Yes. Um, but these stories, these other stories became relevant later on. And there was one story in particular um, that I didn't connect the dots on um, in relation to its similarities to these events and things that were going on in the altar's life um, until we were about three quarters of the way through filming. And that particular story and the discovery that it paralleled so much of uh, what had happened in the altar's life there at the end um, really shocked me. And I remember thinking like, oh God, is this film about to take a hard left that I didn't expect and become something um, completely different? I I'm sure you know what I'm talking yeah, about. Yeah, I do know what you're talking about. <laughs> I know we're teasing our audience here a little bit, but I just real quick, Allison, this is a window into this, what we're talking about as a window into their world, a window into this documentary film, The Thief Collector. It is, it's mind boggling to, and in addition to what we see in the film, it's mind-boggling to imagine what we don't know, but what you can surmise from the film as a sort of a pre pretext for their for their lives, right? Yeah, I think um, one of the things that we were really striving to accomplish with the film, um, or hoping to accomplish, was to spark people's imagination. You know, we don't. <laughs> have all of the answers right with regards to the altars um but i love the idea of what of sparking people's imaginations and um kind of idea of being with this sort of water cooler films that mm -hmm. you talk about around the water cooler for you know for months afterwards um kind of the way that serial season one inspired so much discussion even though that particular uh, series uh, did not have all of the answers yeah. around the Adnan Saeed's case mm -hmm. um, yeah. and that was something that we um, like we were hoping to accomplish a similar impact with the way that we told the thief collector we just want to remind our listeners, we're speaking with Allison Otto. She is the director of the documentary film, The Thief Collector. And it is available now on Amazon Prime. Do I have that right? And then... It's okay. available starting um, May 19th on Amazon and iTunes. And then in the UK, it's available as an Amazon original. Yeah. And... Um, we are hoping to bring it to other streamers um, this summer. I'm sure you will. It's done. The, the critical reaction to the film has been very, very good. Have you learned more since the since the film wrapped? Is is there? And you don't have to tell me what that is. But it, have you learned that there's either more confirmation to the things that you thought might have happened, or completely new bits of information about the altars? 
new bits of information. Okay. okay. You have to learn new bits of information. <laughs> it's easy to imagine that that would have happened. I mean, again, uh, for our audience, it it's just, it's one of those films where it's sort of a mix of, of uh, Confessions of a Dangerous Mind, the, uh, the, the George Clooney film, and then other documentary films, as you were describing, they're just uh, too too real to be to believe to be believed in, in some so <laughs> well I just I thoroughly enjoyed it and I did want to bring in that part of the the filmmaking which I love the reenactments that you um let's talk a little bit of that because they're let's talk a little bit about that because I feel like it, it's kind of tonally a good way to introduce us to what happened and how it happened so um what was that about in your decision to use the reenactments and who you used as well. Yeah. Um, so with the reenactments, I often, I don't think of them as reenactments uh, per se. Um, they're not, they're not traditional. And I think, um, I think of them more as adaptations of excerpts from Jerry's novel. Um, and so basically what those were used for is to give, um, it's to provide a glimpse into Jerry's mind and his, yeah, his mindset. And these stories are basically his voice from, from beyond the grave. <laughs> and, um, but the stories themselves are so um, uh, poorly written that they read like a drugstore novel, a cheap drugstore novel. Um, very grandiose um, and all of the the stories are like I said they're the protagonists are avatars of Jerry and Rita in a lot of these stories and um, so because the stories were so strange strangely written we uh, wanted to lean into that with sort of this West Anderson um, meets the Cohen brothers uh, kind of feel to the way that we executed those. Mm -hmm. And so it was kind of um, this over the top, yeah, larger than life, grandiose hero um, that that appears in all of these stories in different forms. And I think the, the story that kicks off the film is... Um, Jerry's one of Jerry's versions of the the theft and in that particular um telling of it he is this he and his wife are smooth criminals very suave very slick very oceans 11 and then when you contrast that later on with the um actual retelling of the theft and that's our one reenactment is the actual reconstruction of that theft mm -hmm. And, um, you know, with with the people who were there recounting what happened, um, you see that it was much more of a stumbly, bumbly uh, kind of theft. It wasn't slick. It wasn't suave. And yet they got away with it somehow yeah. by a confluence of strange events. Yes. And, and all these little moments that transpired during the actual theft, they were able to get away with it. But if things had gone you know, one step differently during that, you know, for instance, if the professor had come out of the bathroom a moment earlier, he might have seen it, he might have run into them. 
and he didn't he was lingering in the bathroom too long and that's he didn't you know know, (laughs) sorry some people actually think that when we're recounting the actual version of the theft they can't believe that that we're actually pulling from truth they think oh you know you're just kind of this must be an exaggeration and no it wasn't (laughs) it was it was very um it was amateur all the way around and just a strange uh, uh, series of unfortunate events that allowed it to be successful. The film, again, is called The Thief Collector, and the film is currently on Amazon as well as you can look. You can also watch it through iTunes and be looking for it. You're going to have a lot of fun with it. It's a fun film. It's also kind of splash of cold water in certain parts of the film that eye-opening and shocking. I had a great time watching it. Congratulations on it. Congratulations on the Thief Collector. Oh, you're welcome. Thank you. so much, Mike. This is your first uh, documentary, feature-length documentary, and I certainly look forward to to more work. I hope you're working on something. And Allison Otto, thank you so much for, for spending some time with us. Thank you. You've been listening to Film School Radio, the on-air online showcase for the best in independent documentary and foreign films. You can find out more about the program at filmschoolradio.com. I'm your host, Mike Kaspar. Thank you for tuning in, and we'll see you next week with another edition of Film School Radio. Music